Man, I think we've stumbled onto quite a theme here. Last week it was crazy. Now we're institutionalized, and you just want a Pepsi. That's right. That's right. Suicidal tendencies. I got to pick this song this week. Very excited. And uh, to Jenny Sykes, my childhood friend, we used to sing that song constantly. All right. Well, that explains a lot. Welcome. This is the Fright Club podcast, and I'm George Wolf. I'm Hope Madden. And we are from MadWolf.com. Recently voted. We're going to say it again so you can just think we're as obnoxious as we know we're being. Recently voted one of the top 100 movie blogs in the world. <laughs> so we're a little excited. And uh, you know what? we got to say thank you to the great crowd we had last week for our June Fright Club Live at the Gateway Film Center. We watched They Look Like People, and I think people really enjoyed it. I think so, too. It's a lovely film, actually. It's very tense, and Wiener, Matt Wiener, who writes for us, he, he disagrees with these. He says it is really scary. It's very tense, but it's lovely, and I think everybody who left it really loved that movie. Yeah, I think so, too. So that was fun. And we look forward to the next one, July edition of Fright Club Live. Going to be right back at the Gateway on Wednesday, July the 12th, and we're going to see I Saw the Devil. Woo! They have booked the one and only 35-millimeter print on Earth for this screening, and we are so excited. You, ha- you should have said, in the world. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we say that. Yeah, so that should be good. I mean, it's a, it's a good film anyway. I mean, it's punishing. You feel beat up by the end of it, but it's even going to be better when you're beat up on the big screen in 35 millimeters. So, no, it's always good. So we look forward to that. And uh, we've got the countdown. We're heading into the asylums this week, and we've got a special guest. If you follow us on Twitter, and we hope you do, we're at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. you got to know our friend Mac, Dr. Neil McRobert. Welcome back to the show. Hello. I'm calling here from Britain today. Last time it was Maine, New England. This time I'm back in Manchester, but hello. Glad to be here. And, you know, full disclosure, you have already told us you have a hangover. Yeah, yeah, I'm feeling pretty pretty vulnerable today, to be honest. <laughs> but you're toughing I, it uh, out. You're playing hurt. You're here. Yeah, exactly. My girlfriend's in the front room right now watching TV, lying in a darkened room, and I'm talking to you guys about <laughs> asylum. So, yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Right. So hopefully we've set the mood here. Uh, if you remember, uh, Mac joined us a few months ago. Was it last year? It to was. talk about uh, favorite Stephen King, because he's kind of a, or he's our Stephen King senior correspondent, he right? Is. He is that. <laughs> so uh, now we're back to talk about asylums. This is one that we've been a topic we've been kind of, I don't know, putting off for a little while. We're finally getting to it. Seems like it's been cooking for a while. Yeah, it, it turns out as I was looking into it, there were just like 90 that I hadn't seen yet. So I had to put it off for a while because I had to catch up. A lot of them are kind of the same as well. There's a lot of kind of a lot of trash about this, and there's, there's <laughs> kind of it's a straight a diminishing returns. I think there's there's quite there's only a few really good ones. Yeah. Um So I think your list today has kind of condensed that to the best ones to see. Yeah. So really. we've got our we've got our top five, and Neil, you've got yours. A little bit different. So we'll start off with ours, then take a break in the middle and and talk about yours. There is some crossover though. Uh, but mm-hmm. not at number five. This is one that's a little bit, uh, a little bit hard to find, even though it's not that old. It's from 2005, and it's the story of a man taking up residence with a mysterious marquee, and is soon persuaded to enter into an asylum for preventative therapy. From 2005, it's called Lunacy. <laughs> So this is a Czech film, and it's completely batshit insane, which seems really appropriate for the topic at hand. And it's about a young man who kind of suffers from these, you know, nightmares that cause him to behave really erratically. And he takes up residence with a man who 
who believes he is the Marquis de Sade. So he dresses, it's 2005 Czech, Czech Republic, and he's dressed like the Marquis de Sade, and he travels in a big horse-drawn carriage, and it's complete lunacy, as the title suggests. And so this man, for no reason you can think of, decides to go live with him for a while. And once he's there, he stumbles upon this sort of asylum that the Marquis runs. It's preventative psychotic therapy. It's to keep you from going insane. And it's, well, he's the Marquis de Sade, so you can guess what's going to happen. It's a comedy of sorts. It's incredibly bizarre. And there's a lot of sort of claymation meat um, that moves about. It's, uh, it's, it's an unsettling and often really unpleasant film with this just really lunatic comedy grotesqueries happening all about. I wound up really enjoying it mainly because, even though it's really kind of repulsive in a lot of ways, it's just definitely not like anything else in all the world. And so I it, it kind of, I warmed up to it after a bit. Does it have any links to Salo? You know, the Marquis de Sade horror film. Does it, is it like that? Because I had to stop watching that. It, was it, it is grim. not. Um, thank okay. God. So it is, no. And yeah, I did not care for that one either. But it, I mean, there's, you know, there are unpleasantries happen to the guests <laughs> at the asylum, right? So sadism ensues, but it's nothing. It's not nearly as grim. It's much goofier, but it's definitely, uh, it's an unpleasant trek for sure. You had me at claymation meat. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And this, the, the story credit goes to both Mark, the Marquis de Sade, his writings, and also Edgar Allan Poe, which is, which is interesting. And also, mm-hmm. I think some of the same territory, the same story was told in the 1973 movie House of Madness. Yes. Well, because those are both, the House of Madness uh, is also focused on sort of a smash up of a couple different Poe stories. And I had a hard time, honestly, with lunacy. I had a hard time finding Poe in this, but maybe it's because it was a, Czech translation and honestly when I watched this movie the first 25 minutes of it were not subtitled so I really was hoping I was following what was happening but there was and I almost decided well I gotta give up and then eventually the subtitles kicked on which is nice but anyway as you said it was the meat that I'm like what's what's going on on that plate right now so I was sucked in for a while and it's funny though it's weird the one movie that this made me think of for no reason in the world uh, was the 1973 exploitation classic "Don't Look in the Basement"? Um, mm-hmm. Just because, because he, the the uh, patient, the main character, he stumbles upon what's going on by sort of sneaking around, and and the marquee is suggesting that everything is fine. Don't look over here, but don't look at the basement. Is like a, is really a B movie classic, which is not nearly good enough to put on this list. And one of the reasons is that the first thing I thought of when I saw it when I was a kid was. Well, no, things had gone much better if she had just looked in the basement. That would have been the first (laughs) look in the basement should be what this movie was called. But I think we would just be it would be wrong not to bring that film up during a discussion of asylum movies, because even though I'm not recommending it, I'm totally recommending it. So that one's kind of hard to find, but checks in at number five, a lunacy from 2005 on our list of asylum horror and going up to number four, one that we've talked about before on a few occasions. I think this one makes Max Max list as well. A 1979 film, a man tries to uncover an unconventional psychologist therapy techniques on his institutionalized wife amidst a series of brutal murders. Cronenberg's The Brood. Never before have you faced anything so strange and sinister, so bizarre and unnerving. Until now. You can run. You can hide and hope they won't find you. But you won't escape. Once unleashed, the brood will destroy anyone who gets in their way. David Cronenberg's 
ultimate experience in inner terror. Starring Oliver Reed and Samantha Egar. The Brood. They're waiting for you. So speaking of batshit crazy, um, <laughs> I... I when I saw your list, Hope, I um I thought, yeah, you know, that was a good film. It's Cronenberg, you know. How I watched it again, you know, I'm always up for watching more Cronenberg. I had fond memories of this film, um, and I watched it again a few days ago. What the hell? Um, <laughs> from, I mean, it, it's effective and it's kooky and it, it's great in a number of ways, but. But what, the, just the opening scene, I, I thought I'd kind of come in in the middle of the, of the scene, like he's just talking to Mike and calling him Michelle. Um, <laughs> so the, 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 the basic premise is, um, and correct me if I'm wrong on this or any, any of the names, um, the bre- basic premise is that um, Ollie Reed in a frankly masterful performance. Um, Deranged. <laughs> yeah. Plays a, as you say, unconventional psychologist who is um, encouraging his patients to, what, what, what's it, what's the phrase, what's, what's the terminology? It's something plastic. Plasmo- plasmotics. Plasmotics, yeah. He's hoping that they can kind of externalize or manifest their inner rage and, and it, it takes um, the form of whelps on the body and, and typical kind of Cronenbergian um, body horror tropes. But then, I mean, I don't know how much to give away, but then it goes a very, very different and more literal angle on manifesting your rage. I mean, I've got things written down here. I've got notes written down. And one of the lines is, Nola's external womb, WTF. <laughs> and, and, and that kind of gets across yeah. um it's this cod psychology um played for horror horror effects it, it is a good film and the, the the little villainous monsters again without giving too much away are really freaky and or a massive debt i think to um don't look now but it is certainly crazy it's it's it, i think it's cronenberg's oddest film and that and that's saying quite something yeah and of course it's got oliver reed who always he always looks like either he's about to do something depraved or he has just done it and he knows you're going to find it and he's proud. He's got that <laughs> that look on his face constantly. Uh, and he's a doctor. That's a doctor I'm not going to. To quote um, a famous politician over in, in Britain, he has something of the night about him. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, he, he looks seedy and like he's up to no good at all times. And also, why is it Art, Art Hindle? Art Hindle, yeah. The hero? They look identical at first. I was <laughs> like, hang on, is, is this is this all you read? I couldn't work out what's going on. It just added to the confusion. They look like, bro- like brothers. Um, <laughs> Anyone who's seen this, it should really become as no surprise that Cronenberg apparently wrote it following a tumultuous divorce and child custody battle. And uh, he has said that the Samantha, Samantha Egger character possessed quote some of the characteristics of his ex-wife yeah it's he's kind of taken out some issues here i think yeah it, it, it does have um so i suppose you could argue it's got quite misogynistic tendencies the mother figure isn't treated particularly um sympathetically shall we say and also the hero's response to her it's a little bit extreme at the end he could just knock her out but instead he kind of really goes to town and starts, starts to strangle her so there's a lot of Cronenberg's rage pouring out I think in this I think Samantha Egger though is a match for Oliver Reed right in just the unseemly weirdness and a lot of it is I mean a lot of it is you know the 
the external womb. I mean, she has a lot of help in being weird. And she's also got this strangely wide set eyes that he really films to great effect. But she's nuts. She's nuts. And in a way that when you realize Oliver Reed's Dr. Hal Ragland is afraid of her, you're like, oh, no, she's she's trouble. She's a problem. And one of the movies that I wanted to bring up for this, which I don't adore, but I liked an Australian film called The Ugly from 1997. And it's another one where it's which is a pretty common trope, right, where like the psychologist believes they can help the patient, but the patient is really beyond help. Kind of builds an interesting backstory. And, and it's uh, it's a little bit more of um, really kind of a police procedural, although when it does get to the asylum portion of it, which is always in a movie that plays it fairly straight, when they get to like add the panache of crazy, it's always the most fun part. And it very definitely <laughs> is in this, in the ugly, which can be very grim in a lot of different areas. But then when they when you start to realize that a lot of the characters that you thought were normal people are actually crazy it's kind of fun and i don't think a lot of people saw that one so i wouldn't throw it in there okay i'll check that one out the ugly so the brood number four on our list of asylum horror and we'll do one more on our list before we stop and talk about knack max list and how it differs and our number three is a movie from 2001 tensions rise within an asbestos cleaning crew as they work in an abandoned mental hospital with a horrific past that seems to be coming back at Session 9. So the loonies are outside in the real world, and here we are with the keys to the loony bin, boys. <laughs> you might actually want to be grateful, and you're about to make some decent money. What's the catch? Patricia Willard scandal, 1984. I want you to try to remember what happened 24 years ago. Use your imagination. <laughs> I want to come home. I am so sorry. So this was clear, clearly number one on my list. Um, I saw Session 9 years ago when I was at university, and I remember watching it one night. It was just on TV, and I um, I just kind of caught it in passing, and it absolutely blew my mind. I thought it was one of the best horror films I've ever seen. Yeah, as you say, it's – I've forgotten who's directed it. Brad Anderson. Yeah. Am I right? Brad yeah, from The Machinist directed, and yeah. uh, Next Stop Wonderland, yeah. Yeah, exactly. This is his first horror movie. I mean, you could argue The Machinist is a horror movie, I suppose, but yeah. this is his, yeah. his first kind of foray into the genre. And – in my op- opinion, an actual, genuine, modern-day cult classic. I don't even know if it had a cinematic release. I think it may have gone straight to DVD. When you look at the response from critics, it's pretty mixed, but there are some people that are massively zealous about this movie. Yeah. Um, and the premise is they're, 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 inv- they're ransacking and stripping the asbestos from this, this dilapidated old asylum, and they come across these nine tapes, which cover the, you know the nine sessions of the title um, and during the, the the tapes unveil this really macabre creepy story of a young girl well a, a woman called mary hobbs who as a young girl was present at um, the death of her family and she has the the, the old staple of mental health focus films, um, disassociative personality disorder. So she has three personalities within her. The princess, a young boy called Billy, who claims he lives in Mary's eyes and kind of saw what happened but won't tell Mary because he wants to protect her. Um, And another personality called Simon, who, as the story continues and as, as the team listens to more and more of the tapes, takes a more and more sinister presence at the heart of the story it's a really really creepy film uh, i'm glad it's on your list i'm surprised that it's only at number three i'm wondering what's your beef with session nine <laughs> what's, what's your beef 
Um, I like it, actually. I like it quite a bit. And it's funny, Brad Anderson, around the time that, that he made this film, you know, really caught the world attention. And then The Machinist really kind of solidified that. And then, uh, you know, he's 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 kind of taken a weird turn in recent mm-hmm. years. But it's funny that uh, he also made in 2014 Stonehurst Asylum, which is very, very Shutter Island. It's very you know, lunatic running the asylum kind of a film. In fact, Ben Kingsley is even in it. So I think it's funny that he he does have this kind of preoccupation with with asylums and and being trapped in asylums and, you know, and and uh, and lunatics and things like that. I think it's interesting. And I certainly such a nine is his stronger, really one of his strongest films. I think the machinist is probably his best, but he does a great job with this and he doesn't break a lot of new ground. A lot of what happens is kind of predictable fare in a in an insane asylum kind of horror movie. But the atmosphere that he creates and the performances that he draws, you don't realize that you already know where you're going with all of this. And and yeah, Peter Mullen is magnificent in it. Josh Lucas is great in it. Honestly, the whole cast is yeah. is really wonderful. And there are a couple of very, very creepy turns, like when the the kid who's afraid of the dark kind of gets oh. trapped in the dark. It is probably the scariest part in the movie, but they do the he does everything really well. I think it's just that there are a couple that are, I don't know, just just more I don't know revelatory. I suppose poor poor Jeff that is in gets lost in the tunnel. That yeah. that he has nixophobia, so he's terrified of the dark, and yeah. he gets lost in this tunnel. And I've actually made a note about this. I was saying I think. I was trying to rant up my brain for something that I've seen that scared me more than that scene. And the only thing I can think of is there's a scene from a truly atrocious movie called Willow Creek. I don't know if you've seen that, um, where these people are sat in a tent while something goes on outside. Um, it's a to- that's a total aside. It's got nothing to do with this subject, but it's worth watching for that scene alone. <laughs> um, but apart from that, I can't think of a single scene that has made me more kind of tall, tense than that scene in the tunnel. Mm. Um, but there's a, a few cool things about this film that I, I love like for example it was filmed at Danvers State Asylum which Danvers State Asylum is the reason I kind of I'm so interested in this this topic because it is the quintessential evil asylum on the hill it's where the lobotomy was perfected mm-hmm. um, if you can even use that word about that but it's where the lobotomy was certainly practiced but when they filmed at Dan- I mean Danvers you now can't go to it's been bought out and it's turned into condominiums so you can't even go to it I tried when I was in the States I was going to climb the fence um, but I decided not to at the last minute because uh, I've seen too many of these films That's right um, <laughs> we know what but, happens after that <laughs> exa- exactly and never seen again but what I, I was reading about it and, and they didn't have to they only took three props into the entire movie. So aside from the bathtub that is in the hydrotherapy room, mm-hmm. aside from some meat hooks and some plastic gloves in the tunnel, everything else was found on site. And, and apparently Anderson, he was inspired by, he used to drive past Danvers every day. And so he was yep. inspired to write it and, and specifically for it to take place there because he saw it all the time. Yeah. And Peter Mullen, and, and I won't spoil the end of the film. The last line of the film is incredi- incredibly creepy and I won't spoil it. But I mean, do you agree about that last line? The last line yes. of the tape is so yes. But Peter Mullen, um, Caruso reportedly saw a ghost whilst filming. He saw someone walk past his window and there's no one there. But Peter Mullen reported that, I mean, this could be marketing, I don't know. But he's on, 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 um, on notes as saying that on several occasions he heard voices in his own head telling him to go to the roof and jump off. Whoa. And 
when you, when you know what the film is about, that takes a whole new level of creepy. Yeah. That's why it's my it's my favorite. I think it's just an absolute masterpiece. Yeah, it's got some very effective moments. And also, I guess there was a large subplot that was cut out of the movie that involved a homeless woman who lived yeah. and kind of lurked among the building and the workers. But in test screenings, audiences got that woman confused with Mary Hobbs. They thought she was the woman on the tapes. You could see that in that there there yeah. really are no females in the cast whatsoever. And then to introduce one that you are also here, I can see where that would be confusing. So that yeah. is, uh, that's our number three, but Knack-Mack's number one from 2001 Session 9. So, all right, so let's pause before we get to our top two and go down the rest of your rest of your list. We know what your number one is, Session 9, but what, what else you got? Yeah, so number five on my list is Grave Encounters, which is a found footage horror movie, uh, at which point I'd normally just not bother um, at this point. I've just lost the will to live with found footage. But this one is is pretty good. I mean, it's technically speaking and narratively speaking, it's a pretty good movie. Um, it's probably the, the Vicious Brothers directed it, and I'm not a massive fan of their work, but th- this is by far, I think, the best thing they've done. Yeah, um, I agree. I- you. I liked this one when it came out, and I didn't expect to like you because I'm not a huge fan of, of found footage horror. But and this is like a it's like a ghost hunter, you know, kind of a show, and they lock themselves in on purpose overnight, and so it's also kind of a fairly tedious plot. But the way that they execute it, it, it is it is it's it's a lot of jump scares. It's not like a you know, it's not like a classic that's going to live with you forever, but it is a fun movie. Towards the end, I think it gives way to a little bit, it becomes a bit trite, it becomes a little bit cheesy in, in the final third. But I think, yeah, there's a lot of tension there. There's a lot of a lot of kind of like slow burn scenes where the jump doesn't come when you expect it and they pull the rug under your feet. But mo- most of the thing I like about this is that it has got a sense of humor. So when you see the frame story, the typical thing where it's like, you know, many years ago, th- this video was found, the people disappeared. The guy who's presenting that is just insane. Um, <laughs> and then it gets into the actual video itself. And I've never seen better bad acting. And by that, I mean good actors pretending to act badly right because they're doing all the really cheesy you know ghost hunter type stuff and and they're really pulling it off as people who can't act and who don't know where the intonation should go and don't know where uh, how to deliver like decent lines and it, it really works um so then when you see the realistic fear they go through and it, it makes the acting seem it makes the the realism all that more impactful it's so true. yeah I do like it. I'm not I'm not a massive fan of this type of film, but I think this is certainly one of the, the better found footage films. And then so, for yeah, your that's... number four, you had The Brood, which we talked about. But then your your other option was Shutter Island, which I think, you know, you were mentioning earlier. And I think we agree. I'm not sure any of us would call that a horror movie, although it certainly is a movie that needs to be brought up, I think, in a list like this. Yeah, it is. I mean, the the great failing with Shutter Island is if anybody has seen a lot of these movies, they will see the twist coming a mile off. It's a film that really, really only... It's only effective for people who haven't seen that many of these kind of movies. Um, And even... even, I bet even... Now, I've said that. Someone who hasn't seen that film but has seen a lot of these films will already have guessed what the twist is. But yeah, I mean, it is. It's a real. It's a prestige piece. I mean, it's Scorsese. I mean, he doesn't make bad movies, and and it's based on a Dennis Lehane novel, which have always made good movies. And so essentially, it's a. It is about two 
investigators who, in a very sort of wicker man style, visit this asylum off the coast of New England, off the coast of Massachusetts. And as they investigate the, the goings on in this really old fashioned, creepy, creaky old asylum, things come to light and we're forced to reevaluate what's going on. And it is a bit of a guessing game. It's a little bit burdened by the fact that as good as it looks and as fine as the performances are, you know, a hundred years ahead of time, what's going to happen? Yeah, totally. Um, but it, it's fun. It's fun to go. It's, it's one of those films you can kind of spot the tropes and spot the conceits, and I think that kind of gives its own pleasure in a way as well. If you are versed in this stuff and you go along and, and you can spot it, you know, it's you can set it into a drinking game if nothing else. You know, <laughs> do it that way. And having watched The Brood again. I would probably have put this on the list rather than The Brood anyway, if I'm going to be honest. I think it's, sure. a, in every conceivable way, a better film. <laughs> Quiet, you. But, well, you know, we don't always agree, do we? You know, That's we right. don't always agree on these things. Speaking, um, speaking of which, your, uh, your number three made me laugh out loud. Really? You're not a fan of this movie? Oh, wow. So, um, well, this perhaps may be personal for me, but my, my number three is um, A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. One of the few horror movie uh, sequels that I think lives up to the original, which could be sacrilege. I don't know. I mean, let's face it, we've all seen that in Elm Street 2, which is a car crash. So um, it had to kind of go up from there. And I think it's a great film. But and the, the premise is, of course, that it's set in a psychiatric hospital in which... Heather, I can you you know her name, guys. Is it Heather Langenkamp? Is yes, that we yeah, her that's name? it. Yeah, Nancy. <laughs> Heather Langenkamp, a woman who is literally outacted by the rubber doll that is pulled through the door at the end of Nightmare on Street. But no, she's playing a dream therapist um, in this hospital for young, disturbed people. And of course, Freddy Krueger is running amok in their dreams. And there's some just great imagery. I mean, the one that always springs to mind for me, and I think for most people, is the puppet master sequence. Oh, absolutely. Uh, that's, that's clearly the best sequence in there, sure. Yeah, I mean, it's the best sequence in any of the entire franchise, I think, where Fre <laughs> literally, in someone's dream, Freddy has, I don't want to be too graphic, but has literally pulled the sinews um, and and tendons out of some of these people and is is dancing them like puppets it's just incredible and it belongs to an era of kind of horror special effects that i really miss before we went hyper realistic i love all that that, that crazy stuff you know the tom savini I, I love all that kind of stuff mm -hmm. i think we've gone We've gone way too gritty. Um, but I've got to admit, one of the reasons this made my list is because as much as I'm a, a old battle-scarred veteran of horror movies, I can't watch this franchise without being terrified. <laughs> uh, there's something about it gets to me. I mean, I once had a, a nightmare when I was a bit younger where Freddy Krueger was in my dream and that was it. Then I was like, that's it. I'm, that's, I'm done for, you know. And ever since, I've never quite been able to watch these, these films comfortably. They really freak me out and I, I, I don't know why i mean i know you've often mentioned george about the scene in the first one with the, with the long arms yeah um love that. everything about yeah everything about this franchise terrifies me so this one was always going to make my list in terms of just how much it scares me it mm -hmm. may be the greatest film but it terrifies me they all do so that's yes number three dream warriors and then your number two is actually a film that neither one of us have seen so it's one for us to look up after the after the show oh yeah okay so my number two is it's known as a, known simply as Asylum in the UK or the much 
well, not more notable title, House of Crazes, for its US release. Um, it's 1972 British horror film made by Amicus, who were responsible for doing a lot of these anthology horror films in the 60s and 70s. They were kind of a, a competitor of Hammer, I suppose. So they did, they did things like Tales from the Crypt, Vault of Horror, House of Drip Blood, things like that. And this, this is an anthology or kind of portmanteau movie and again it's one of those there's you know you see these horror films where you watch it and when the twist happens you're kind of like, oh come on that's a cliche but actually then you realize this film set the cliche and and this is very much one of those that that cliche i'm talking about is the very twist that it's at the end of shutter island and sure. it, it's that kind of um same sort of area and stonyhurst asylum as well is always kind of it's also predicated on this similar twist but it's just it's just a cool creaky i've used that word a few times now but a really creaky british horror movie where it's very gentle in a way so basically there is a, a character played by robert powell who is a, a kind of fairly famous tv actor over in the uk he plays dr martin who attends this i love it the secluded asylum for the incurably insane it's a great name um, <laughs> and he's yeah, he's been interviewed for a, a job there and the kind of strange unconventional interview approach is that he, he's forced to go amongst the inmates interviewing them and work out which one of them is the recently committed ex-warden of the asylum, the Dr. Starr, the former head, mm-hmm. who's un- undergone a complete mental breakdown in recent weeks. So basically, he he goes through meeting these different inmates who eat, I think he meets four, I think it's four, who each tell him a story. And and these stories quite often are nothing to do with the actual asylum. They're often, you know, the reasons why they're in the asylum. And they're, and it's that typical tells from the crypt sort of moralistic sure. um, fable, you know, 20 minutes each. But they, but they are quite good. I mean, the special effects for the time is pretty good. Um, one is about, you know, a, a voodoo priestess. Um, one is about a man who creates this, this fabric uh, that can animate anything. And obviously that includes the dead. Sure. And, and things like that. Uh, there's one, the, the best one is, is one that's simply called um, Lucy Comes to Stay, which features a woman who's recently been released from the asylum and is being closely monitored. And then her friend comes to stay Ooh. and lots of things go go wrong. And I, I won't spoil the twist again, because it's quite a cool twist if you haven't seen this sort of thing. But we do eventually find out who um, Dr. Starr is, and it's not who you would expect. Nice. We well, you can't but build look- a whole movie on on uh, and have it stick around for, for that long if, if it is who you expect. So that's a good that's good news. And your number one was session nine. Yes. So uh, which we've covered, which is great. I mean, it is a good movie. But so the the number two that we have. So the one that beats session nine on our list is a documentary that actually we were really lucky. Uh, we did a, a podcast on documentary horror forever ago, and I had wanted to see this film and couldn't get it. I couldn't watch it. So I apologize because I felt sure it should be on the list. So somebody came to a Fright Club Live with a copy for us to use, and we've seen it since. And it's Frederick Wiseman's really seminal documentary from 1967, Titty Cut Follies. <laughs> Situation. 
Yeah, speaking of Shutter Island, this was actually screened for the whole cast and crew of Shutter Island before production began, and it's 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 really become legendary. It's the only American film banned from release for reasons other than obscenity or national security because the Massachusetts Supreme Court ruled that the film constituted an invasion of inmate privacy and ordered it withdrawn from from circulation. So that's why it was so hard to see for so long and kind of, you know, so infamous. And and once you see it, it, it is. It's very real and just just shakes you in the way not only that these inmates are treated, but but in the attitude of the people that run this asylum and their and their just cavalier mistreatment of these people and then it's the whole movie is kind of juxtaposed around the idea that they're having this talent show because the title of the movie is taken from a talent show put on by the inmates and then also kind of run by the people in charge and you see i guess what you'd call the head of the place doing this big song and dance number and it's just so it's so weird to have that going on when all these people are suffering so much it, it, it is the way that they, uh, the way that Wiseman cuts between the two different, so just the inmate life and then this performance is really so grotesque and moving. Um, and, you know, and he's, he made a, a, a huge and amazing contribution throughout his entire career with these flying on the wall documentaries of institutionalized sort of horror, right? Meat and education. He did hospitals. Mm-hmm. He did all kinds of things. I think this one is probably his most infamous because I just think it hadn't occurred to people to wonder how uh, asylum inmates were being treated, particularly when the sort of face of an asylum was showing you, look how much fun they're having singing these songs with us. Yeah, I think it's, I've seen it twice. I I watched it um, for some research I was doing um, a few years ago and I watched it again for this podcast. And I must admit there were parts this time that I just had to skip through. Um, I think it's, it's a horror film in the, the truest possible sense of the word mm-hmm. um, in that it truly horrifies. It's not, you know, it doesn't, it's, it's not a fun film to watch. It's not the kind of horror that you get any kind of enjoyment from at all. It's just a really sad, grueling picture of kind of inhumanity. Um, yeah. It's one that you, you don't forget once you've seen it for sure. No, no, not at all. And it's really seminal. And I mean, a, a few things come to mind with this. One, I think what's really truly, is it 67 it came out, this film? Is that when it was made? Uh, 67, yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. And you realize just how far we haven't come. Because I mean, I don't know if people in the US know about bedlam in the UK, but the, the word bedlam, you know, to mean kind of, you know, craziness and, and riot and anarchy it comes from bethlehem hospital for the the criminally insane in london in like the 18th century and and you, and often you you read in british culture you will read a lot about bedlam and the way people were treated and and and, mm. and the kind of measures that were taken to to um, reform that and then you watch the difficult follies and you realize that in the intervening 200 years we've just got nowhere you know yeah. it's just the same yeah um and when you watch something like i mean one thing we haven't mentioned today because we're doing movies but i think one of the one of the, one of the best examples of asylum based horror is from american horror story season two no um, question asylum. yeah absolutely I mean, and and when you watch that the aesthetic of it um everything everything is taken from the typical follies even like hydrocephaly you know the character who's got the yeah. hydrocephaly you know is, is that real emblem of physical illness being treated as mental illness and, and all these things. And, and, and I think you realize this, how integral the Titicult follows is to our modern conception of the asylum gone wrong, yeah. you know, really powerful, really powerful.
Agreed. And that is our number two, Titicut Follies from 1967. Moving up to number one, you wondered what it was, and we go all the way back to 1920. <laughs> Hypnotist Dr. Caligari uses a somnambulist, Cesar, to commit murders, the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. So in terms of a film that sort of created the, you know, tropes that all the other films follow, this is the one, right? You know, you, and besides being just uh, visually masterful and an amazing film to look at, but the, the concept you open is the frame that you open on a man sitting on a park bench talking to somebody about this horrible thing that happened to him and his, he and his fiance. And then he tells the whole story. And so you get this amazing story, really beautifully filmed about this menacing figure that came to town and, and the, you know, a hypnosis and murder that followed. And, and really, I mean, I think what people remember the most is the look of this film because, well, it was 1920. So there weren't all that many films to that preceded it, but there had never been anything that really looked like it. And, and there were many films really up to today that have, that have borrowed the aesthetic of this movie. But really the reason that it made the list is because then the, there's the, you know, of course um, there's the twist end that has become what, maybe the most common element in all like asylum based horror. Yeah, it is odd how much that, that twist is. I mean, I suppose it's because we have a, it's a genre about, you know, what is real and what is not real. And you can so easily play with that boundary, but that twist, yeah, it's just, it's in almost every one of the films we've talked about, isn't it? You know, that what, what can we trust from the, the POV of the, protagonist at the end yeah it's a great film I, I think tim burton must have seen this film in the cradle um it, <laughs> yeah because absolutely. He's, he's been making it ever since basically you look <laughs> at, at any still of this film it could be a tim burton poster i mean the the, the town holston wall it's just incredible like this there's nothing quite like it apart from in tim burton movies and i mean sure you must be making a re make at some point of this but yeah no it's 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 a great film um it's one of those that you probably struggle to call it horror by modern standards you know but it's certainly creepy and the yeah. the all of the creepiness all of it is derived from the way the film looks and yeah. you see cesar in his essential his box or coffin or whatever uh, and that, that that shit's still scary now you know you wouldn't <laughs> want to put, you, would not, you would not want that picture on your wall in your bedroom you know what yeah. I mean? it is it's a freaky look um, and even though we get the twist at the end, I still think that there's more to this. I don't know. There's something about the, I mean, I'm, I don't want to spoil the twist, but it was 1920, you know? Um, so we kind of, at the end, you're, you're, it's implied that what you've seen is an hallucination, right. um, or a delusion rather. But I still think at the end, there is something sinister about the asylum director. Because it was, it was 1920, a lot of common uh, belief is that that all a delusion twist was put in to deflect the suspicion that the film was painting all authority as insane, which at the time would have been, you know, might have got you into trouble. Especially for a German film. Oh, right. Okay. I didn't realize that. It's like that shoehorned in to make it palatable. Right? Yeah, okay. exactly. That yeah. kind of makes the entire film make more sense in a way. <laughs> um, yeah, kind of kind of forced into it. And, you know, you mentioned the look of it, too. The look, the, so many of the sets were made out of paper, and then the shadows were painted on the walls. I mean, the look is just incredible. Oh, yeah. It's, it's painterly, isn't it? It's, it, it look, it's like watching a, a really, really elaborate, expensive stage production of yeah. the greatest set of all time. Yeah. And, and the, the angles are all quite weird. And, you know, it's, and it, it's one of those things, kind of like The Shining with the Overlook. You know, it, it makes you uneasy just because of the kind of irrationality of the, the architecture, you know. So, yeah, it is great. 
That's our number one, and that's a good look at some great movies, and even one or two that we were not aware of. So, Knack-Mack bringing the bringing the heat to the uh, podcast today. We appreciate that, <laughs> talking about Asylum Horror. And if you've got uh, ideas to chime in on, we love that. Keep it going on Twitter. It's always fun. And, of course, Knack-Mack chimes in there as well. Uh, you can find us at MadWolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. And Knack-Mack, you're on Twitter at? It's just Knack-Mack, that is N-A-K-M-A-C. And you'll find me through that. Awesome. Looking forward to it. And by the way, we want to give a shout out to our other podcast. We're not busy enough on podcasts. Every week we do the Screening Room podcast, not talking about just horror movies, but all the new movies coming out every week, not only in theaters, but what's good and what's new on home video and streaming. So you can always check us out every week for the new movie reviews at thescreeningroompodcast.com. And always hit up our main website, madwolf.com, for all the written reviews. And we try to keep you covered with the movies that way. So, um, you know, true to form with all things Stephen King, a friend of mine, Alan Gregory, at a university here in the, in the UK, is now running a podcast called Pennywise Dreadful. Um, nice. Which is a, yeah, yeah. It is a monthly read-through of every Stephen King novel. It's really in-depth. It's, 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 it's a nice mix of kind of academic and popular kind of conversation. Uh, I may be on it at some point in the near future, whispering about something or other, I don't know. But, yeah, no, it's great. For any, so for anyone who is interested in all things Stephen King, yeah, that's Pennywise Dreadful. Well, I love the name. You got me with the name right there. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and they've got accents like me as well, so if nothing else, it's good for a laugh. Looking forward to that. Appreciate that. Okay, yeah, chime in on Twitter to keep the conversation going. We hope you can make it if you're in the area of Columbus, Ohio, to the next Fright Club Live. That is going to be on July 12th for I Saw the Devil. Looking forward to that. Knack Mac, Dr. Neil McRobert, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Good stuff today. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's always, always a pleasure. And until next week, I am George Wolf. I'm Hope Madden. And this is the Fright Club Podcast. Hit it. Stay frightful and crazy, my friends. I'm not crazy.